Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. This message is from a collection of Spurgeon sermons. It was created by Perry Boardman, this collection. It was known as Spurgeon's Gems, or just Spurgeon Gems. Today, the message is from volume one, and it's number 49, called The God of Peace. The text is Romans fifteen, thirty-three. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul once advised the Romans to strive. Three verses before our text, he actually gives them an exhortation to strive, and yet he here utters a prayer that the God of peace might be with them all. Lest you should think him to be a man of strife, you must read the verse. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And that is a holy life and, and such a strife as that we wish always to see in the church, a strife in prayer, a surrounding the throne together, besieging God's mercy seat, a crying out before God until it actually amounts to a striving together in our prayers. There's also another kind of striving which is allowed in the church, and that is striving earnestly after the best gifts, a sweet contention, which of us shall excel all others in love, in duty, in faith. May God send us more strife of that kind in our churches, a strife in prayer, a strife in duty. And when we have mentioned these strifes, we find them of so peaceable a kind that we come back to the benediction of our text, where it says, Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Without any preface, we shall consider first the title, the God of peace. Secondly, the benediction, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So first of all, the title. Mars, amongst the heathens, was called the god of war. Janus was worshipped in periods of strife and bloodshed. But our god, Jehovah, styles himself not the god of war, but the god of peace. Although he permits war in this world, sometimes for necessary and useful purposes, although he superintends them and has even styled himself the Lord, the mighty in battle, yet his holy mind abhors bloodshed and strife. His gracious spirit loves not to see men slaughtering one another. He is emphatically, solely, and entirely, and without reserve, the God of peace. Peace is his delight. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Peace in heaven. For that purpose he expelled the angels. Peace throughout his entire universe is his highest wish and his greatest delight. If you consider God in the trinity of his persons for a few moments, you'll see that in each of them, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the title is apt and correct, the God of peace. There is God, the everlasting Father. He is the God of peace, for he from all eternity planned the great covenant of peace, whereby he might bring rebels nigh unto him and make strangers and foreigners fellow heirs with the saints and joint heirs with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the God of peace, for he justifies 
and thereby implants peace in the soul. He accepted Christ, and, and as the God of peace, he brought him again from the dead. And he ordained peace, peace eternal with his children, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He is the God of peace. And so is Jesus Christ, the second person, the God of peace, for he is our peace who has made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He makes peace between God and man. His blood, sprinkled on the fiery wrath of God, turned it to love, or rather that which must have broken forth in wrath, though it was love forever, it was allowed to display itself in loving kindness through the wondrous mediatorship of Jesus Christ. And he, Jesus, is the God of peace because he makes peace in the conscience and in the heart. And when he says, Come to me, all ye that are heavy laden, he gives rest. And with that rest he gives the peace of God, which passes all understanding, which keeps our heart and mind. He is, moreover, the God of peace in the church, for wherever Jesus Christ dwells, he creates a holy peace. As in the case of Aaron of old, the ointment poured upon the head of Christ trickles down to the very skirts of his garments, and thereby he gives peace. Peace by the fruit of the lips, and peace by the fruit of the heart. Unto all them who love Jesus Christ in sincerity. So is the Holy Spirit, the God of peace. He of old brought peace when chaotic matter was in confusion by the brooding of his wings. He caused order to appear where once there was nothing but darkness and chaos. And so in dark, chaotic souls, he is the God of peace. When winds from the mountains of Sinai and gusts from the pit of hell sweep across the distressed soul, when, wandering about for rest, our soul faints within us, he speaks peace to our troubles and gives rest to our spirits. When by earthly cares we are tossed about like the seabird, up and down and up and down, from the base of the wave to the billow's crown, he says, Peace be still. He it is who on the Sabbath day brings his people into a state of serenity and bids them enjoy that holy calm, that sweet repose which none but he that feels it knows. And he shall be the God of peace when at life's latest hour he shall still the current of Jordan, shall hush all the howlings of the fiends, shall give us peace with God through Jesus Christ, and land us safely in heaven. Blessed Trinity, however we consider you, you, whether as Father, Son, or Holy Ghost, still is your name thrice well deserved, the God of peace and the God of love. Well, let us now enter into the subject and see wherein God is a God of peace. We remark that he is the God of peace, for he created peace originally. He is the God of peace, for he is the restorer of it, though wars have broken out through sin. He is the God of peace because he preserves peace when it is made. And he is the God of peace because he shall ultimately perfect and consummate peace between all his creatures and himself. Thus he is the God of peace. Well, first of all, he's the God of peace because 
He created nothing but peace. Go back in your imagination to the time when the majestic Father stepped from his solitude and commenced the work of creation. Picture to yourself the moment when he speaks the word and the first matter is formed. Before that time, there had been neither space nor time nor anything existing but himself. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it stands fast. Behold him, scattering from his mighty hands stars as numerous as the sparks from an anvil. Witness how, by his word, worlds are fashioned, and Ponderous orbs roll through that immensity which, first of all, he had decreed to be their dwelling place. Lift up now your eyes, and behold these great things which he has created already. Let the wings of your fancy carry you through the immensity of space and the vast profound, and see if you can discover anywhere the least sign or trace of war. Go through it from the north, even to the south, east to the west, mark well if you can discover one sign of discord, whether there is not one universal harmony, whether everything is not lovely, pure, and of good report. See if in the great harp of nature there is one string which then, when it is touched by its maker's finger, gives forth discord. See if the pipes of this great organ that God has made Do not all play harmoniously. Mark you well and note it. Are there bulwarks formed for war? Are there spears and swords? Are there clarions and trumpets? Has God created any material with which to destroy his creatures and desolate his realms? No. Everything is peaceable above, beneath, and all around. All is peace. There is nothing else but calm and quietness. Mark, when he makes the angels, he speaks. Winged seraphs fly abroad, and cherubs flash through the air on wings of fire. He speaks, and multitudes of angels in their various hierarchies are brought forth, while Jesus Christ, as a mighty prince of angels, is decreed to be their head. Is there now in in any of those angels one sign of sorrow? When God made them, did he make one of them to be his enemy? Did he fashion one of them with the least implacability or ill will within his bosom? Ask the shining cohorts, and they tell you, We were not made for war, but for peace. He has not fashioned us spirits of battle, but spirits of love and joy and quietness. And if they sinned, he made them not to sin. They did so. They brought woe into the world of their own accord. God created no war. The evil angel brought it first. Left to his free will, he fell. The elect angels, being confirmed by divine grace, stood fast and firm. But God was not the author of any war or any strife. Satan of himself conceived the rebellion, but God was not the author of it. He may from all eternity have foreseen it, and it may even be said in some sense that he ordained it to manifest his justice and his glory, and to show his mercy and sovereignty in redeeming man. But God had no hand in it whatsoever. The eternal adjures war. 
He was not the author of it. Satan led the van, that morning star who sang together with the rest, fell of himself. God was not the author of his confusion, but the author of eternal and blessed order. Look, too, at God in the creation of this world. Go into the Garden of Eden. Walk up and down its bowers. Recline under its trees and partake of its fruits. Roam through the entire world. Sit down by the seashore or stretch yourself upon the mountain. Do you see the least sign of war? Nothing like it. There is nothing of tumult and of noise, no preparation of destruction. See Adam and Eve. Their days are perpetual sunshine. Their nights are balmy, evenings of sweet repose. God has put nothing in their hearts which can disturb them. He has no ill will towards them, but on the contrary, he walks with them in the evening, under the trees, in the cool of the day. He condescends to talk with his creatures and hold fellowship with them. He is in no sense whatever the author of the present confusion in this world. And that was brought about by our first parents through the temptation of the evil one. God did not create this world for strife. When he first fashioned it, peace, peace, peace was the universal order of the day. And may there come a time when peace once more shall be restored to this great earth and tranquility to this world. Do you not observe that God is the God of peace because he created it originally? When he pronounced his creation very good, it was entirely without the slightest exception a peaceful creation. God is the God of peace. But secondly, he is the God of peace because he restores it. Nothing shows a man to be much fonder of peace than when he seeks to make peace between others. Or when others have offended him, he endeavors to make peace between himself and them. If I should be able at all times to maintain peace with myself and should never provoke a quarrel, I should of course be considered a peaceful spirit. But if other persons choose to quarrel and disagree with me, and I desire and purposely set to work to bring about a reconciliation, then everyone says I am a man of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. God is the great peacemaker, and thus he is indeed the God of peace. When Satan fell, there was war in heaven. God made peace there, for he smote Satan and cast him and all his rebel hosts into eternal fire. He made peace by his might and power and majesty, for he drove him out of heaven and expelled him by his flaming brand, never again to pollute the sacred floor of bliss, and never more to endanger paradise by misleading his peers in heaven. And so he made peace in heaven by his power. But when man fell, God made peace not by his power, but by his mercy. Man transgresses. Poor man, mark how God goes after him to make peace with him. Adam, where are you? Adam never said, God, where are you? But God came after Adam, and he seemed to say with a voice of affection and pity, Adam, poor Adam, where are you? Have you become a god? The evil spirit said you would be a god. Are you now? Where are you now, poor Adam? 
You were once in holiness and perfection. Where are you now? And he saw the truant Adam running away from his master, running away from the great peacemaker to hide himself beneath the trees of the garden. And again God calls Adam, Where are you? But he says, I heard your voice in the midst of the garden. I, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God says, Who told you you were naked? How kind is he? You can see he is a peacemaker even then. But when, after having cursed the serpent and sent the cursed obliquely on the ground, he comes to talk to Adam, you see him as the peacemaker still more. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he says it to the snake, between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. There he was making peace through the blood of the cross. Do not conceive, however, that there was the first preparation of peace ever made right then. No, that was the first display of it, but he had been making peace from all eternity. Through the covenant he made with Jesus Christ from all eternity, God's people were at peace with God. Although God saw that man should fall, though he foresaw that his elect would, with the rest, depart from rectitude and become his enemies, yet he long before the fall drew up a covenant with Jesus, wherein Jesus stipulated that he would pay the debts of all his people, and the Father on their behalf did actually and positively forgive their sins and justify their persons, take away their guilt, acquit them, accept and receive them unto peace with him. Though that was never developed until the fall, and though to reach of us and each of us it is not known until we believe, yet there has always been peace between God and the elect. I must tell you a, a tale of a poor bricklayer who met with an accident and everyone thought he was going to die, and he did die. A clergyman said to him, My poor fellow, I, I am afraid you are going to die. Try to make your peace with God. With tears in his eyes, he looked the clergyman in the face and he said, Make my peace with God, sir? I thank God that was made for me in the eternal covenant by Jesus Christ long before I was born. Well, so, beloved, it was. There was a peace, a perfect peace, which God made with his Son. Jesus was not our ambassador merely. He was our peace. He was our peace. Not the maker of peace, but our peace. And since there was a Christ before all worlds, there was peace before all worlds. Since there always will be a Christ, and so there always will be peace between God and all those interested in the covenant. Oh, if we can but feel that we are in the covenant if we know we are numbered with the chosen race and purchased with redeeming blood, then we can rejoice because God has been to us the restorer of breaches, the builder of cities to dwell in, and has given us peace, which once we lost. He is the restorer of peace. Thirdly, he is the preserver of peace. Whenever I see peace in the world, I ascribe it to God. And if it is continued, I shall always believe it is 
because God interferes to prevent war. So combustible are the materials of which this great world is made that I am always apprehensive of war. I do not account it amazing that one nation should strive against another. I count it far more amazing that they are not all at arms. Whence come war and fightings? Did not James say they come from our lusts? Considering how much lust there is in the world, we might well conceive that there would be more war than we see. Sin is the mother of wars, and remembering how plentiful sin is, we not marvel if it brings forth multitudes of them. We may look for them. If the coming of Christ is indeed drawing nigh, then we must expect wars and rumors of wars through all the nations of the earth. But when peace is preserved, we consider it to be through the immediate interposition of God. If then we desire peace between nations, let us seek it of God, who is the great pacifier, pacificator. But there is an inward peace, which God alone can keep. Am I at peace with myself, with the world, with my maker? Oh, if I want to retain that peace... God alone can preserve it. If I know there are some people who once enjoyed peace but who do not now possess it, well, it is the truth, isn't it? Some of you once had confidence in God but may have lost it. You once thought yourselves to be in a glorious state from which now you seem to have somewhat departed. Beloved, no one can maintain peace in the heart but God, as he is the only one who can put it there. Some people talk about doubts and fears and seem to think they are very allowable. I have heard some people say, well, a sailor in the sunshine knows his reckoning and can tell where he is. He has no doubt, but if the sun withdraws, he cannot tell his longitude and latitude, and he knows not where he is. That is not, however, a a fair description of faith. Always wanting the sun is wanting to live by sight. But living by faith is to say, I cannot tell my longitude and my latitude, but I know the captain is at the helm, and I will trust him everywhere. But still, you cannot keep in that peaceful state of mind unless you have God in the vessel to help you to smile at the storm. We can be peaceful at times, but if God goes away, How we begin quarreling with ourselves. God alone can preserve peace. Backslider, have you lost it? Go, seek it again of God. Christian, is your peace marred? Go to God. And he can say to every doubt, lie down, doubt. And to every fear, be gone. He can speak to every wind that can blow across your soul and can say, peace, be still. For he is the God of peace, since he preserves it. Trust in him. Well, we're finding out why God is the God of peace, and he has several reasons, and he's given us three. We have to wait for next time to find out that fourth reason that God is the God of peace. Thank you so much for being among us today. Without you here, we have no... We have nothing to say because there's nobody listening, but you are here, and I thank you. 
do look around this website, if you will. You'll find some other things there that I do believe will bless you, including hundreds of, of uh, audios of Charles Spurgeon himself and a lot of other things. God bless you. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on the 14th of March, 2023. And Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.